From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Stroke and Acute Retinal Ischemia, Part 1. It is very likely that if a patient has a source of emboli, whether in the heart or in the articulate or in the carotid artery, it's very likely that this patient just sends shower of emboli all day long. First this. I know many of the audience of a scene from here also watch my live conference interviews on ewreplay.org. These brief video programs highlight the most important news from major ophthalmology meetings and number in the hundreds every year. But if you haven't watched ewreplay.org recently, you've got to check it out. iWorld Replay has really upped its game with super video production and fantastic content. ewreplay.org. We've just renovated and we'd love to have you over. There is much to be said for ophthalmology, but perhaps one of the most gratifying aspects of the work that we do is that we wake up every day knowing that our jobs are important. They are important because, of course, vision is supremely important. But occasionally our work supersedes even this. These are the instances in which the decisions that we make can affect the general well-being or even the life and death of the patient. The pathology that first comes to mind in this context is, of course, giant cell arteritis, but it is not the only one. Opportunities arise in which we may be in the unique position of identifying a patient at risk for imminent stroke. The relationship between transient monocular vision loss and stroke and the guidelines for management are reviewed in Valerie Buse's recent paper in ophthalmology, and I'm happy to welcome Dr. Buse as my guest today. Our conversation was interesting and important, but it was too long to be presented in a single podcast. I'm going to present part one of my conversation with Dr. Buse today and the conclusion next time. You refer to acute retinal ischemia. What what entities does this diagnosis encompass? Any mechanism that will be responsible for transient or permanent retinal ischemia. We are not talking about ischemic optic neuropathy. We are not talking about asymptomatic retinal emboli, such as a Hollenhorst plaque, for example, that may be found during a routine eye exam. What I include in acute retinal ischemia is branch retinal artery occlusion, central retinal artery occlusion, ophthalmic artery occlusion, and also uh, transient monocular visual loss secondary to a retinal transient ischemic attack, what we can call, what we can call a retinal TIA. As a matter of context, can I have you talk a bit about the 2011-2013 consensus statements from the National Stroke Association and the American Heart Association? So, stroke care has completely changed uh, in the world over the past 20 years to the point that we now have stroke as a definite neurologic subspecialty uh, the neurologists who take care of stroke are fellowship trained, and there is a stroke fellowship, which is an ACGME accredited fellowship. And as a result, almost 
all neurologists or cardiologists who have a specific expertise in stroke nowadays have completed a stroke fellowship and are accredited by the American Stroke Association or the National Stroke Association and the American Heart Association. And this large group of people over the past decade have come up with a number of guidelines in which they have very specific recommendations regarding the appropriate care of patients with acute stroke and patients with chronic deficits related to a previous stroke. And so the last major revision of these guidelines were published in 2011 and 2013. And in these guidelines, there was a clear uh, change in the way stroke neurologists were considering the whole spectrum of stroke. And so, for example, in the past, we were talking about transient ischemic attack means transient neurologic deficit that just spontaneously resolves within 24 hours. Nowadays, this definition is not accurate anymore. What we call a TIA is a transient neurologic symptom or transient visual loss without evidence of infarction. So, for example, if you have a patient who has a cerebral TIA, such as hemiparesis or aphasia, that completely goes away, you need to be able to do a brain MRI to show that there is no cerebral infarction, even if the symptoms have completely resolved, to be able to use the term TIA. If the symptoms have resolved and the patient has a cerebral infarction on MRI, it is not a TIA anymore, it's a stroke. So you're going to say, well, why do we care? It's the same thing, correct? It's the same thing, but it's not, because patients who have a TIA have a relatively good prognosis if taken care of appropriately. Patients who have a stroke have a much worse prognosis, and the likelihood that you're going to find a major cause for the stroke if the patient is classified as having a stroke based on a brain MRI is much higher than if the patient had a TIA. And so in 2013, the American Heart Association made that very clear and, and included in the definition of stroke retinal ischemia and basically said if the patient has transient vision loss and the retinal examination is normal, it's a retinal TIA, if the patient has transient vision loss and you find a retinal abnormality consistent with retinal ischemia, it's not a TIA anymore, correct? It's a BIO or a CIO that resolved very quickly. And if you have a patient with vision loss, even transient, and you do a brain MRI, if you find evidence of a cerebral infarction on the brain MRI, even if the patient has no neurologic symptom, it's not a retinal TIA anymore, it's a stroke. And so the major message from the American Heart Association was to basically tell people, stop thinking about the retina and the brain as different parts of the bodies, as long as you have any kind of either TIA or deficit that is permanent, it doesn't matter if it's vision loss, hemiparesis, or aphasia, it's exactly the same thing, and you need to take care of these patients in a similar fashion. You, uh, just to sort of frame this, you describe a, a spectrum of acute retinal ischemia. Does this mean that transient monocular visual loss, TMVL, is less concerning because it is transient? That's, that's a very hard question. The answer is obviously yes, uh, because it's transient. It, it's not as bad as when it's permanent. 
And it's exactly the same thing as in the brain. If the symptoms go away, somehow you can assume that whatever gave the symptom was not as bad as when the symptom is permanent and completely irreversible. However, uh, it's really not less concerning because whether it's transient or permanent, the patient had a temporary arterial occlusion. And regardless what the cause is, regardless how long it lasts, it's a really bad sign. It means that something potentially terrible is about to happen to the patient who is susceptible to having further arterial occlusions, whether they, whether these occlusions are retinal, cerebral, or involving any other part of the body. So I think it is falsely reassuring to think that if it's transient monocular vision loss, it is not as concerning. Obviously, the risk of stroke after transient monocular vision loss is less high than in patients who have, for example, a BIO or a CIO, or in a patient who had a cerebral TIA, but it's still high enough to be really concerned about the patient's outcome, and it really must be considered a warning sign that something is wrong within the vascular system of the eye and the brain. You have to remember that the blood supply to the eye is the same blood supply that um, uh, cares for the brain. And so if something is going on with the eye, there is a good chance that something could be happening to the brain. And um, as a comparison, think about patients with myocardial infarctions. It's really bad to have a myocardial infarction. Everybody knows that. When a patient has angina, when a patient comes, develops chest pain, everybody is appropriately concerned that it could be the first sign of a myocardial infarction. Why is it different when a patient has an episode of vision loss? It's exactly the same thing. You have an episode of transient vision loss. It's angina of the eye. You need to do an appropriate workup quickly. You need to care for the patient emergency in order to prevent either permanent ocular ischemia or a cerebral infarction. Now, let, let me sort of parse this out here. Uh, since you, you make the case that retinal TIAs, ret, retinal TMVLs, transient monocular vision loss, um, carry a risk of subsequent stroke, but that the risk of subsequent stroke following a TMVL is less than the risk of a subsequent stroke following a cerebral TIA. If that is in fact the the case, uh, I, I'm, I'm wondering if you can speculate why. If, if the underlying mechanism is the same, why are the risks not the same? I don't know that anybody in the world has any definite answer for that because we really don't know. Uh, so all I can do is speculate, and it's a topic I have been thinking about for a very long time. I think there are a number of reasons why uh, most studies have shown that indeed the risk of stroke after a retinal TIA is not as high as the risk of stroke after a cerebral TIA. The mechanisms are the same. Basically, you have emboli going into an artery um, with occlusion of the distal portion of the artery. To occlude a retinal artery, which is of relatively small caliber, especially if we're talking about a branch retinal artery, you need a very, very small embolus. To occlude a cerebral artery, you need a larger embolus. And it is very likely that we, 
if a patient has a source of emboli, whether in the heart or in the articulate or in the carotid artery, it's very likely that this patient just sends shower of emboli all day long. And we know that from studies that have looked at transcranial Doppler of patients who have a known carotid stenosis, when you do a transcranial Doppler on the middle cerebral artery, you see, you can see those emboli uh, happen all the time. And these are very tiny emboli, and the patients are completely asymptomatic. They don't know it. And so I think that when you have very small emboli go into the distal circulation, if, if these emboli go into the brain, there is a very good chance they will be asymptomatic. If they go into the retinal circulation, there is a very good chance they will be symptomatic. Another reason for that is that if you're just sitting down, not speaking, and you have a small embolus going into your brain that gives you a transient hemiparesis or a transient speech problem, you may not notice it because you are not walking, you are not speaking. And we spend most of our days not walking and not speaking. On the other hand, we have our eyes open all day long unless we're sleeping. If a small embolus goes into the retinal circulation, even if you have a short-lasting blackout of vision in one eye, there is a very good chance you're going to notice it. And finally, I think that the diagnosis of vascular transient monocular vision loss is very, very difficult to make. And we definitely over-diagnose this issue. Patients complain of transient blurry vision all the time. Does it mean that these patients have retinal TIAs? Absolutely not. I think retinal TIAs are actually quite rare. And in many studies that have included patients with transient monocular vision loss, presumably related to retinal TIAs, I am sure that there were many patients who never had a retinal TIA. And therefore, their risk of stroke was quite low. And, uh, you know, I am not necessarily blaming the neurologist who included these patients in those large neurologic studies, but it's really, really difficult to make a diagnosis of retinal TIA. Right, right. No, no, I understand completely what, what, you're, what you're saying, that since, uh, I mean, since the, the, the symptoms are, are reliant completely on the, the recall of, the, of the, the, the patient to the extent that the patient is, is going to um, present with a, 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 a story that sounds like a TMVL when it's not one, uh, it's going to artificially depress the, the subsequent stroke rate because your, your demographic's not a pure demographic. It's mixed up sort of. Um, you make the point that it is in the patient's interest to be urgently referred to a stroke center. I, I have two questions stemming, stemming from this. First of all, what constitutes an urgent referral? And second, what evidence exists that patients are infected at lower risk when managed by a stroke center? Urgent means right now, immediately, directly from the ophthalmologist's office to the stroke center. There is no reason to go home. Um, you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. If you have chest pain, you're not going home to pick up your toothbrush and your pajamas before you go to the ER. You go to the ER. We do the same thing for acute retinal ischemia. And why do you go to an emergency department affiliated with a stroke center? It's because stroke centers 
have stroke neurologists whose specialty is to handle these patients. Of course, they are better. They are better than any ophthalmologist who is not trained to do that. They are better than any uh, urgent care person or uh, even cardiologist or internal medicine physician who is not specifically trained to do that. What we call a stroke center is a specific facility that has been certified by the American Heart Association to be able to um, evaluate, manage, and treat patients with acute strokes. And the criteria for such a certification are multiple, but they include things such as being open seven days a week, 24 hours a day, having access around the clock to high-quality brain imaging, being able to do a stroke workup any time of the day, any day of the week, having access to a neurologist with an expertise in stroke at any time of the day, any day of the week, and finally, having the resources on site should an emergent treatment be necessary. So, for example, if you identify a severe carotid stenosis, this carotid stenosis must be operated on very quickly in order to prevent a stroke. A stroke center is, a, is located at a facility that will have qualified vascular surgeons who have been certified to perform this kind of surgery. If you have a pathology that will require a treatment that can only be done by an interventional radiologist, this will be also a resource available on site. So there are multiple items that basically allow a stroke center to do things quickly and the right way. If you go to any emergency department, you may receive excellent care, but you may not have the same facility available around the clock, and you may not have access to the specialist who knows what to do. So, so why, why not send the patient to a stroke center since it is available in many places in this country? And your recommendation is, is that, that the ophthalmologist, him herself, not conduct any workup, but, but immediately to, to refer the, the patient? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Because I, I know many ophthalmologists are frustrated when I, when I say that, because they say, well, they, they want to provide the best care for their patient. They care about the patient. They don't want the patient to be unhappy about going to the emergency department, and they're trying to help. The reality is they are not helping because all they are doing is delay appropriate care. There is not such a thing as a partial stroke workup. You need to do everything in order to identify the cause and then treat the cause. When you are in an ophthalmology clinic, you don't have access to everything easily. It takes a lot of time to obtain the appropriate test, and then you have tests that come back and that you may not be able to interpret yourself. And then no matter what, you don't know what to do with the patient anyway. And so things as simple as measuring the blood pressure of a patient who had a retinal uh, TIA or a retinal infarction is probably the most important thing that needs to be done urgently. And I know very well that most ophthalmologists do not measure their patient's blood pressure for the right reason, okay? It's usually not necessary. But there is no reason for ophthalmologists to bother doing anything. What is the most important is that they really spend the time making the correct diagnosis. You know, a diagnosis of BIO, CIO acutely is relatively easy to make, although 
I would argue that diagnosing a central retinal artery occlusion within a few hours of vision loss can be very challenging. You know, before you really see retinal edema, before you see a cherry red spot, it can be very hard. Making a diagnosis of vascular transient molecular vision loss is a real challenge for anybody, and you really need to slow down and and spend time with the patient to try to figure out what's going on. But as soon as you decide that it is a vascular problem, just send the patient to the emergency department and to a stroke center for the workup. We'll end today's podcast here and pick up where we left off in the next episode. Valerie Buse is the Cyrus H. Stoner Professor in Ophthalmology and also a professor in Neurology at the Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. Her paper, Management of Acute Retinal Ischemia, Follow the Guidelines, appears in the October 2018 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Buse or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.